Hey everyone, it's Derek Stone and Conrad Geringer, and you're listening to the Working Triathlete Podcast. Hey everybody, today on the podcast, we have Chris Haig. So Chris is a great athlete who I've been working with for a year or, or maybe a little bit over a year. Uh, he is a, a long course triathlete. I think we'd sort of classify him as, as that. And he recently completed 70.3 Eagleman in an excellent time of four hours and 16 minutes. And he has a, a very interesting background. He's been doing triathlon for a very long time, um, but, you know, was able to PR pretty massively at Eagleman and sort of vie for, for the top spots there. Uh, so, so Chris, welcome to the podcast and uh, please introduce yourself briefly. Just talk about where you're from and how you got into endurance sports. Sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I'm Chris Haig. I grew up in the the Washington D.C. area, um, and I get I got into endurance sports in high school. Um, I was going to do my freshman year of high school. My brother was a senior, um, and he was the one with the car. He could drive, and he called me up the day before school started and said, "If you want to ride home from school, you better do cross country because I'm not waiting for you after whatever <laughs> practice you want to do." Um, so I <laughs> decided to do cross country because I wanted to ride home and not have to take the bus um so showed up the first day and the typical first practice is the 5k tt and i got third on the team and was into running uh and did that pretty all throughout high school in my senior year um i got a one of those um pamphlets in the mail from team and training and they they were doing a uh, creating teams for a spring activity and one was a marathon and my mom's like no you can't do you can't do a marathon until you're 21 I'm just I'm not having it um so I'm like what about a triathlon then um and she goes well how long is that I'm like a half Ironman and I, I just threw it out there and she goes okay that sounds good enough um and that's what got me into triathlon is um I did the uh, Gulf Coast half Ironman in 2007 as part of team and training um and been doing triathlon ever since um I did cross country and a little bit of swimming in college. Um, so triathlon took a back burner um, when it, uh, uh, as, as I was focusing on more, more mostly running. Um, and then after college, got back into it to kind of change things up and get more back into triathlon versus just pure running. Um, yeah, I went to school at the University of the South in Swanee, Tennessee. So not far from Chattanooga, um, just in between Nashville and Chattanooga. It was a beautiful place to run. Um, gorgeous trails. Uh, we, it, it's on top of the mountain looking over the plateau. So if you wanted to bike anywhere, you had to bike down the mountain and then you had to finish biking up. Uh, so great place to train. Um, we had a good swim team and I loved being part of that. Um, I wasn't the fastest swimmer. Uh, having just started swimming uh, as a senior in high school, um, the coach kind of let me on the team out of the kindness of his heart. And I showed up to every practice, so he didn't really have the heart to kick me off the team. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that really helped my swimming, but um, my swimming actually didn't really take off until I would say four or five years ago uh, when I uh, got a VASA. Uh, swimmer and started using that and that really took my swim from mediocre at best to um to something that's slightly more competitive um but yeah i've been doing triathlon ever since um ever since that that one in 2007 um and did eagle man actually 10 years ago and haven't done it since this past year uh so it was a good a good way so to we, come we back gotta know that. though at the 5k time trial at your first practice in cross country did you beat your brother so, yes. so was that not hey, hey, right home? Um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, I think I did an 18 that first 5K and he did something like a 22. So it was, it, yeah, um, <laughs> a little bit of a humbling moment for him. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, but we have to give him kudos for, for getting you out. So that's, uh, thank you, Chris's brother, for, for that. Um, so you swam a little bit at, at University of the South and, and ran, obviously, and then uh, you graduated. And then what did you do after that? Because I know that you've lived abroad a little bit and, and uh, have some good experience there as, as a teacher. 
Yeah. So I, I um, right after graduation, I did a, a what I call a victory lap um, and did a year internship as the assistant cross country uh cross country coach and track coach. Um, so that was kind of a, a year to be able to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then I worked for a bike shop and a tri shop a little bit um, in DC, uh, at which point I decided to become a teacher. Um, I got a call from a charter school in Phoenix, Arizona, that said, we, we love your resume. We love you to come out and help um, teach the, the middle school here. Um, and it sounded like a great opportunity. I heard that Phoenix was a, a great budding triathlon scene. So I'm like, great, sign me up. Um, packed up all my stuff and moved across country. Um, that was 2013. Um, that I did that and have been teaching ever since. So I taught uh, primarily middle school, uh, middle school math in particular, um, which a lot of people are, oh, that's like the hardest years. But like, I, I love that that age group. Um, it's, they're quirky, they're fun. Um, they're a little snarky at times, but it's still a great age group to teach. Um, so I've been teaching um, primarily middle school math in the Southwest uh, for a couple of years. And then uh, decided to go back and get my master's in sports psychology. So once again, packed up all my stuff uh, and moved to Canada, um, Kingston, Ontario, uh, to get my master's in sports psychology. Um, got my master's there for two years. And at the end of my master's, decided to go back into teaching and got, a, uh, got an email from a school in Jordan, Amman, Jordan, um, saying, we love your resume and we love you to come out and teach middle school. Um, and being able to live abroad um, in a place that I had never been before and knew very little about uh, sounded exciting and a great opportunity. So I packed up again and flew across the ocean and um, have uh, was there for three years. Uh, so started teaching at, in Jordan in 2019 um, and then just moved back to the States now. Got it. So in Jordan. So, so I know that's when we started working together while you were there. And I think you had, so you, you traveled over there and you were living on campus and you, what, acquired a road bike over there. And, you know, you had a decent training set up there. And um, I think you had a, what, a bike and a treadmill in your, yep. in your area. Yeah. So crazy story about the road bike that I got. Um, Jordan is weird with their taxes um, and especially their import taxes. So some things can be really, really cheap, but some things are really, really expensive. And the road cycling triathlon scenes, it's emerging, but it's not really that big. Um, so getting a, a trainer over there was near impossible. So I looked up bike shops in the region and the best one was in Dubai. Um, and it was cheaper for me to buy a um, ticket to fly over to Dubai stay there in a nice hotel overnight, buy the bike and the trainer and fly it back than it was for me to uh, have them ship it over to Jordan. Um, so that was a wild weekend to flying to Dubai, testing out a couple bikes, getting fitted there, and then flying back with a bike and a trainer. Um, but yeah, it was a wild experience. Um, that's actually one of the best bike shops I've ever been in. They just had all the bikes that you can imagine um, in, in their studio, which was pretty cool. Um, and then also, uh, because um, they, uh, another big issue with Jordan is that in the it's not really a cycling culture. Um, so the drivers are pretty darn crazy. Um, like I was used to crazy drivers, like truck drivers in the south or DC traffic or even Phoenix traffic. But these it, they take it to another level over there um, as far as their driving. So it's not really if you want to bike on the roads, you got to bike either on kind of rural Jeep track or on the highways. Um, which I did a couple times, but it's, 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 it, you're taking your life into your own hands. Um, if you decide to go off like rural roads, there's packs of dogs um, that are pretty common um, that are pretty vicious. Uh, so just for peace of mind and safety, I did most of my riding indoors on the trainer on Zwift. Um, and then also similarly, like dogs chase you if you run outside the, the gates of the school. So I, did most of my running either inside of campus, which is just like a two mile loop around the campus, which can get pretty boring um, and, or on the treadmill. And I decided to go the treadmill route and got um, a great manual treadmill. Um, got a pretty good, decent deal on it. Um, got it during the pandemic. So if, in case I needed to quarantine, I always had a treadmill in the apartment. Um, and I love that thing. Uh, it, the going with the manual curved treadmill was the way to go. Um, and I think the, the running fitness that we saw over the past year working, uh, working with y'all, um, I think the, the curved treadmill helped with that. Um, I think one benefit 
just thinking one benefit I think is the softer surface, um, you know, the slat belt, um, a little bit softer than running on tarmac or concrete constantly. And that allowed me to get more consistent running miles in. And then also it gave me no excuse to skip a run um, because of weather or because of time, because the treadmill was always there. I'm like, all right, it's, you know, it's 7 p.m., but the treadmill's there. I can get a quick run in now. Um, or if I have to get up super early, I can just hop on, you know, roll out of bed, have a coffee and hop on the treadmill. So it did help a lot with consistency. And you were definitely resilient. Not many injuries. I know you dealt, you had a history of maybe ankle issues. I know you dealt with posterior tibialis tendonitis, mm -hmm. which a number of athletes over the last two years, I know have, have worked through that. And do you think that the curved treadmill sort of helped you get over that to an extent or, or was it more the, the super feet insoles? I think a little bit of both. Um, I think the, the, the curved treadmill, because it at least starting the rehab process, it took that pounding and, you know, changes going uphill, going downhill. It took it all out of the equation. Um, and I could just focus on my form and that, yeah, that, that did help, um, you know, put the super feed insoles that also helped. But I think the biggest thing was the, the isometric static calf raises, um, that mm. we, that we were doing almost every day, um, in August and September, as I was getting back, uh, getting back into training, I think that, that had a huge benefit of strengthening up the calf. Um, and then also yeah. taking a break from the, the, the carbon plated shoes, um, you know, putting those, giving, reserving those for specific track workouts and races, I think also helped, um, you know, I think we've talked about it uh, before of how, well, uh, a couple anecdotal evidence of increased injuries from those, that type those types of shoes for some reason. Um, and mm -hmm. so given those a break helped. So, so one question about the treadmill though, I, I was, I've heard and read reviews that it does help you or it does help promote like a more natural stride. Did you find that was the case? Yeah. So I'd like compared to like a motorized treadmill, uh, where you kind of get locked into a, I wouldn't say an exact stride from outside the, the manual, the motorless treadmill allowed me to run okay. just as if I was running outside. Um, if, if most likely it felt like a slight incline the whole entire way, but it was like a natural running gait. And I also liked it because like you didn't have to push any buttons. If you want to go faster, you just run faster. And I think that also improved my natural running gait um, by being able to control it like that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. The uh, talking about the, the injuries and, and sort of the lower leg injuries. I'm thinking of plantar fasciitis and the ankle injuries. It definitely seems like the carbon sold shoes have been contributing to that. There's definitely a correlation, I think. And you brought up this concept of calf strength. And I think that a lot of athletes don't realize how important that is. Everybody <laughs> thinks their calves are strong because you use them a lot and you can look down, you could see your calf muscle. And, uh, but it was interesting because last week, uh, we had a, a webinar for, for working triathletes and Jeff Wilson, the assistant strength and conditioning coach at university of Colorado, Colorado Springs hopped on. And he, we had a good discussion with him, with, with everybody. And, and he brought up the concept of calves and how important it is to strengthen those and, and how they're also related to, to plantar fasciitis. Cause we have a, a couple athletes basically always, you know, sort of working through plantar fasciitis and the connection there between just calves, weak, weak calves, because it's, you know, it's essential. Everything's connected and um, we definitely don't want to neglect those. So that's definitely a good thing to bring up um, that we often overlook. Uh, but uh, so you were able to train consistently in Jordan and it sounds like it was not necessarily, you know, an endurance training oasis with uh, the <laughs> wild dogs, and yeah. the dangerous roads, but you got through it with, uh, you know, good indoor training. And I know that there aren't necessarily races every weekend in the area. And so throughout the different training cycles over the last year or so, definitely, I know we integrated a lot of time trials and you were able to do some time trials with other teachers at, at the school, you know, running time trials and 
Uh, we also did some duathlon time trials and, you know, they, they were fun. Um, but how did, how did you think about those? Would you get nervous before the time trials, uh, even though you were the only one doing them and you were in complete control of them? Was it worse than a race or how, how did, did they go? How do you think about those? Those, those standard duathlons that we did where, you know, we do 10 K on the treadmill, 40 K on the bike on Zwift, and then a 5 K on the treadmill. again. those were, I think, harder than racing outside just because of the, the mental aspect. Um, because 10 K on the treadmill, that's still 33, 34 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, that's just the first part of the race and you're staring at the same wall on the bike. So mentally overcoming that kind of just, focusing like mentally overcoming that that boredom that mental fatigue um i think is was the the biggest um biggest obstacle to those not, not i think that's the biggest limiter versus fitness um but they but they were fun um i think getting i wouldn't say i would get nervous before them like a, a typical race but i was always afraid like something technologically would go wrong like you know the the, the internet would go out and there you know i would have to just go off of um just go off of time on my garmin and just look at my garmin the whole entire time instead of you know have having some relief with zwift um mm -hmm. and then also um it, it really made me dial in nutrition um because i would sweat so much more on the treadmill and the trainer than i would outside and no like even though i had two strong fans going just trying to cool myself so it made nutrition and hydration so much more important because if I didn't do that properly, then there's no chance I would get to the 5k. Um, so it's, it, it, those were, those were good both physically and mentally. Um, and they, they broke up, they were good kind of assessments of how things were progressing. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as my overall endurance. Um, yeah. I mean, duathlons are brutal no matter what. I mean, indescribably brutal until you do them and then you know doing them on your own indoors definitely a great way to strengthen you know that 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 brain muscle that willpower muscle and just to get mentally strong and i know the first i think the first one we did you bought some like red bull knockoff what did you get some energy <laughs> yeah bison uh the the jordanian version of red bull um and i think they're i think they're their their logos like it gives you horns um instead of it gives you wings um so it was like I, it was it was right before christmas break so i was out of scratch which is my typical go-to hydration i didn't have anything in the fridge but juice and bison so that was my my feeling strategy was was to uh um crack open the bison, let it deflate overnight or um, get less carbonated, go flat overnight um, and just sipped on that during the bike ride, hoping that the caffeine and the sugar would get me, get me to the run. Um, and it did, it did maybe, <laughs> maybe upset the stomach a little bit, but you know, it's uh, it's not bad to, to develop an iron stomach in training <laughs> by drinking some bison. <laughs> but uh, so Obviously, training was you, you faced some obstacles just when it came to things like pool access and certainly did most of your training indoors, but you were able to accrue, you know, good training load and you were consistent and you, it, it was basically, you know, textbook builds. And so, so you certainly did well, but, you know, what were the sort of struggles that you overcame or, or the difficulties when we think about, you know, getting in sufficient training, trying to work around things like access. And I know that your job can certainly be stressful at times, especially when all the responsibilities you have, you know, coalesce around midterms or at mm -hmm. the end of the year, because, uh, you know, you would work big hours and then also would, you know, get in training, but sometimes we had a kind of adjust training to that. So I guess talk about that a little bit. Sure. So I, I think the biggest obstacle was pool access. Um, and that was just something that was out of our control and we just had to roll with. Um, so knowing that and knowing that like I only had the pool these days this week um, and saying, all right, these are the pools. Those are definitely the, you know, the key workouts. And then we'll just supplement with extra volume on the bike and the run. I think just making it clear in my mind and like setting the expectation of, all right, you can only get in two pool, uh, two swims this week. That's it. Let's make them count. Um, and then the, the other, like 
sometimes, you know, the lifeguard wouldn't show up. So the pool was canceled or another swim team would be renting out that pool the day. So they would cancel the, the swim and just having a fallback option of like, all right, if that swim gets knocked, uh, it can't, can't be done. Let's just do an easy hour on the bike or an easy 45 minutes on the treadmill. So having a, like a backup plan in our back pocket um, to whip out if we needed it, because, you know, there were a lot of times where that, that happened with the pool. Um, the, there was a pool on campus, which is a huge help. Um, just being at when it was open, being able to walk over there, get in the pools, you know, knock out a 75 minute swim and then go back to the apartment instead of having to drive was a huge help. But the, like if the pool, if I didn't have that pool, it would have been a 45 minute drive both ways. Uh, so yeah, it's pools are, are limited there. Um, and then the pools that are open are typically used for like youth, uh, youth teams and stuff, um, which is great that the Jordan's kind of developing those programs. But at the same time, if you're a casual lap swimmer, it doesn't really help you. Um, so having that, having that pool was a godsend when it was open. Um, and when it wasn't, it was just like, all right, just let's do something else. Um, and realizing it was out of our control. Um, supplementing that with like, I, I think coming in with a fairly good swim fitness and kind of a good mental conception of form also helped, um, overcome that, that swim limitation. Um, because like I would watch a bunch of YouTube videos on like proper swim technique and Katie Ledecky's 800 meter or Katie Ledecky's 400 meter or Michael Phelps greatest hits and just like watching those underwater footage before I got in the pool kind of got in my mind of all right this is what I want my body to look like in the water um, and it gave me it allowed me to focus on different aspects of my form whether it was a high elbow catch or rotation or head position um, just having that being able to watch YouTube videos over and over again and try at least to mimic it in the water, I think helped um, because we would go you know, a couple of weeks without swimming and I would get, get in the pool for the first time. And I would be, a, you know, my hundred times would drop down three or four seconds um, just because I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, and, you know, it was humorous at times just saying like, he hasn't swum for a month, but he's able to knock out you know, better times than he was three weeks ago. Um, it was, it was an anomaly. I'm not saying that's like the way people should swim. Um, obviously I would love to swim more, but it, it, it worked for, it, it got the job done. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. The decay is, is laughably small. When we think about swim speed, I suppose, for athletes who have a good form, I mean, certainly fitness matters a lot in swimming, but yeah, it, it was kind of funny that you, you would just not swim for a while. And if you don't run for, you know, a month and then hop in and try to run, you're not going to feel great. Um, but obviously your technique is good and constantly visualizing swim form. I think there is something to be said for that, you know, watching the YouTube videos and and you can still kind of develop the neural pathways a little bit just by rehearsing them in your brain and uh, you know, things like that. I mean, you have a master's in sports psychology, so maybe you can speak more to that than I can, but, uh, you know, certainly you did what you could and you strength trained religiously. So you were able to maintain that strength, which is, you know, it's certainly helpful to be strong when you're a swimmer, obviously technique is number one, but you need to be strong. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but whenever you would, get back at it it would not take many swims for you to you know i think reach what we would consider you know your kind of baseline level of swim competency wherein taking additional time off would require sort of an outsized additional investment in, mm -hmm. in swim training which obviously we, we want to capture those gains but for you obviously we had to sacrifice the swim and I think it, it worked out just, just fine in the end at Eagle man. Um, but it was funny because going into Eagle man, it, that was probably the biggest stretch of time where you didn't swim. Uh, Cause I think they shut down the pool and then it was probably a month, right. Until you were able to uh, you moved back to the U S and then you were able to start swimming again. But I mean, you only got in a handful of swims, I think before Eagle man, um, but obviously uh, you did well at Eagle Man. So uh, just transitioning to discussing the, the race itself. So this was your first triathlon that you'd, you've done since what, 2019? 
Yeah. So I, like before I moved to Jordan, um, when I was getting my, uh, in Canada, when I was getting my master's, um, I did a couple of the, um, Ontario triathlon series, um, Gravenhurst and Barrelman. Um, so I think 2018, um, was the last, was the last time I, I did a triathlon. Um, and then the last time I did a 70.3 was actually in 2016 when I was living in Phoenix. Um, so quite some time since I had been in race mode. Um, and, and, uh, I, the, coming back, I, I knew I wanted to do Eagle Man, A, because it's close to where I grew up and I had done it before, um, many, many years ago, but also just, it's, it's a great venue. And I knew with that history, my, my personal history with that course is like, this is the race that I want to come back at. And so as, as a homecoming sort of, and you you PR'd on the course by by how many minutes? Oh, 10 minutes. Um, my previous PR was 426, I think, at Augusta. So there's an asterisk on Augusta 70.3 in Georgia. There's an asterisk on that 426 because that swim was a, I think I did 23 minutes downstream. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it was a PR and, you know, your PR is a PR, but that that previous race was definitely swim assisted. Um, yeah, it's funny because a lot there are asterisks on a lot of a lot of races, but uh, obviously you can only race what's available. But Eagle Man, I mean, it was a legit course. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, there's it's not short, you know, it's it's honest. But uh, yeah, so so four hours, sixteen minutes there, which was certainly a, a good result. And you know, so so obviously we did a. a normal 70.3 build or macro cycle into the race and your first introduction basically to, to open water swimming and I guess years potentially was you hopped in was it a mile open water swim uh the, the weekend before mm -hmm. yeah so yeah the, the week before there was a, a open water swim at a man-made reservoir in, in Reston Virginia um, the Jim McDonald Lake swim. Um, and that was, that seemed like a perfect opportunity to test out the wetsuit, make sure the wetsuit worked, um, if it was going to be wetsuit legal and also work on sighting. Um, so it wasn't really a race. It was just more, let's get into open water because like, you're right. The only open water swimming I had done was in the dead sea for a 10 minute float around. <laughs> um, and that was like, that, that was the only, like, that was the only time I hadn't swum in outside of a pool since then. Um, so getting in real open water swimming was good um get to practice and then a little bit of a dip the day before eagle man um in the um yeah in the chop tank um just to get the feel for the water and get used to not having a black line underneath me um and that and the, the biggest thing is like it was right on leading up to the race um it was right on the border of being too warm for wetsuit legal um, which I was a little nervous about. Um, and fortunately the morning of, I don't know if they you know, dropped ice bags in to test the water, but it came out to just over 75. So it, it was wetsuit legal, which was a, a huge help. Um, I think my, my times would have been okay without a wetsuit, but I think uh, I did 30 minutes. Um, and I think a large part of that, well, not a large part, but a small part of that was, was the wetsuit and having that um, extra flotation. Um, the other part is that, um, just working on sighting, um, and couldn't control anything, but I knew I could control sighting and making sure I was going from buoy to buoy and not getting off course, um, which say saved a considerable amount of time, just knowing that I was on course, staying on course and I wasn't giving myself extra meters. Yeah, that's, that's important. And so on race day showed up, you're probably super excited slash maybe some, some nerves. Cause it was your first race in a while. Uh, but you knew that you were fit and you sort of did a course recon, uh, the week before the race and, and knew that, you know, your position was dialed in and you were going fast relative to your Watts and your run was in a very good place. I mean, that we did a, a sort of a brick run, uh, a week before and it was you throw on those do you run in the alpha flies yeah the, yeah. the clown and shoes <laughs> um yeah you just can't run slow in those so yeah. you know that was a, a good confidence boost booster just confirming fitness even though we knew your fitness was was solid but basically going into eagle man i think you had 
every good reason to expect to do well and and you did um so take us through through the race you know the the swim and you already talked a little bit about that and then the bike and and how that went and uh you know can cover nutrition strategy and also some of the the race dynamics but during the swim i mean what how did you feel during the swim having not really swam that much leading into it because of uh lack of access to water yeah so race morning um the unlike like historically eagle man's been hot um unlike those previous years it was supposed to be thunderstorming all morning um and you know you could see the clouds off to the south so it was overcast and threat of rain so we knew it was going to be wet um but once again out of our control so we just went with realized you know we just race everyone has to race through these conditions might as well just stick to the race stick to the plan um so lining up they did also they didn't do age group waves they did self-seated waves um and we had talked about this before that everyone overestimates their swim so you said get into like we know your swim's going to be around 30 minutes maybe a little bit faster go with the 27 28 minute people because they're going to be they're going to be the ones who are swimming around 30 um and that worked uh, i lined up a little bit more aggressively than i would and looking around is people who chose not to wear a wetsuit which is a good indicator that you know they're pretty strong swimmers um some people uh, i could see that they were wearing like they were um wearing like a speedo so not even a swim skin i'm like all right i, I think i'm in the good group um of of competent swimmers um and the gun goes off. Uh, we started fe uh, feeding into the water. Um, and uh, you recommended just lock onto someone's feet and follow, you know, follow them. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I locked onto this, uh, th this swimmer's feet. Uh, she was mostly just out of, just out of college. And um, she was definitely a college swimmer. So I locked onto her feet and stayed with her pretty much for the whole entire 30 minutes, um, sighting just to make sure I was on track. Uh, but I just locked into a rhythm and, um, through the longer sets in, uh, in our, in the swims we were able to get into, I just ingrained in my memory. All right. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to swim this time. This is what I need to focus on, focus on, you know, stroke, stroke, breath, stroke, stroke, breath, and just got into that rhythm of, um, all right, form check, sight check, form check, sight check, back to back to breathing um and cycle through that in my brain if i thought about all right like what is my time i just kind of put those uh thoughts out of my head of like don't focus on the time just focus on your form and how you're feeling and the time will take care of itself um and not because i knew like if i did start to focus too much on the time my form would just go go out the window um, so always coming back to the breath always coming back to how am i feeling um uh, where's the next buoy and going from there um, and lo and behold, came out of the water at right where we wanted at 30 minutes. And, um, I, that surprised me. And that was kind of like a huge confidence boost of like, all right, I'm out of the water. Let's start, let's start doing the work. Um, uh, they also had, uh, wetsuit strippers there. Uh, so that was a huge help in my transition. That was one thing I wasn't expecting was the longer transitions. When I had done this 10 years ago, uh, they had a different setup for swim in and uh, bike out, um, which shortened the run that you had to do. But now they have a longer transition, which is about 400 meters to get to your bike and a little bit extra to get out. Um, so that's, I think, one area that we can work on for next year uh, for next year is, is <laughs> speeding up my transitions. Um, but it was out of the water. Let's start to focus on the bike. Don't rush the transition, let your heart rate come down, put your helmet on, you know, double check that you've got everything that you need and off, you know, off I went. Um, and the first section of the bike is through a residential area. So that was, that was a good opportunity to get not necessarily into the TT position, but just let my heart rate come down, get my feet in my shoes and start to visualize um, the coming two hours. And the first, I would say, six minutes was going through residential neighborhoods. So making sure keeping the rubber side down, it was just starting to rain. Uh, so it had to be extra cautious, cautious around the turns. And then um, finally got out onto a nice stretch of highway. And that's when I started to, started to settle into the plan that we had. Um, and we knew that I could hold right around 250 to 260 watts. 
um, and that worked the, in the previous week um, during the course recon. And that's what I went with. Um, not many people passed me, but um, the one or two that did, I realized like, all right, if they want to take off right now, let them. I know that I can hold this wattage. I just need to hold, you know, stick to the race plan, um, which I think at the early part of the race was it was a, a plus. Um, but halfway through, uh, halfway through uh, the bike, um, a group of cyclists kind of came up on on me and kind of enveloped me and couldn't really break out of this pack. Um, and that was the, I think the more frustrating part of like, I could not, every time I tried to pass or tried to put in a surge, they would just come back up on me. Um, and just, it was a, it was a, it was a kind of a Zwift style draft pack of yo-yoing back and forth um, uh, within this group. And that, I think that was really frustrating because I was, I wanted to TT, I wanted to be solo and I just did not like this group, but had to deal with them for a good 20 minutes, I think, um, looking at the, the power chart. Um, and at, after which we hit another bit of open highway and I'm like, all right, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm going off the front. I'm going to put in a surge. I put in a, a I went over my goal wattage, but I surged past them and was able to put a pretty good gap into them. And then finally was able to be able to ride my race again, um, instead of having to deal with, deal with all these other people around me. Um, and after that, it was a nice tailwind back to transition, um, and being able to ride in that 250 to 260 zone again. Um, nutritionally, uh, we had, uh, I had three bottles on my bike, um, each with about 400, 350 to 400 calories of scratch in them. Um, we tried scratch out before. It was the electrolyte blend, not the super fuel blend. We experimented with the super fuel and it just didn't work out as well as it could. So we just went with the, uh, the hydration and that, that worked perfectly. Um, three bottles lasted me pretty much 50 miles, um, which was just uh, just what I needed. I could have gone for another bottle at the last aid station, but I, I, I skipped it and it didn't really negatively impact me at all. So you mentioned it was raining. Um, in that race, I know it was generally pretty hot. Was it, what were the temperatures like on the bike that day? Temperatures were like, I would say mid seventies, low eighties and fairly humid. Um, but being, being overcast, it, it didn't feel like that because the, the sun wasn't beating down on you. Um, the, the one issue with the, with the rain and humidity is the visor on my, my helmet, um, the, the Giro, um, the visor on the helmet kept on fogging up. Um, so every two minutes I had to squeeze my hand in and you know, windshield wipe just a little, little patch to be able to see what the road, uh, what the road was like. Um, that was the biggest issue with the rain. Um, but for it, it remained cool enough that it didn't really, you didn't feel the heat, um, as badly as, as, um, in years past. Yeah. The rain X helps with that. It's always good to, to put on some rain X a couple times each season to just mitigate that, that fogging. But, um, I liked a, a few things you said, especially, so just going back to the swim quickly, you said, uh, you did not want to focus on time or speed because then your form kind of goes to crap and you lose that efficiency. And I think that that is very insightful and something we're trying to convey to a lot of athletes, not only for racing, but also for training. It's like once, you, if you're wearing a watch and you're just constantly looking at your time and you're obsessed about getting a certain, hitting a certain interval in training, oftentimes your form kind of goes, goes to crap, which you just talked about. And going back to this, the importance of form and, you know, watching the YouTube videos and, and, and thinking about form constantly, it's, you realize that when your effort increases, it isn't necessarily the case that you, uh, go faster. So to go faster, I was, it's almost like you want to think about swimming strong rather than swimming mm -hmm. faster or working harder. Sometimes if I'm writing swim workouts, instead of writing, you know, like hard or zone five or something, you're just strong, you know, long and strong is, is a good way to think about it. And, uh, obviously you did that. So that was, a good way to think about it. And even on the bike, it's not unreasonable to, to really translate that concept to uh, holding arrow and holding form because staying aerodynamic, it matters a lot. And you have to save energy. You can go fast. Um, 
But uh, so, so you use scratch hydration. We know there's a lot of sodium in that, but you know, you, we experimented in training. So, so we knew, you know, that you could take a pretty large amount of scratch and uh, that your body can tolerate the, the sodium in it. Uh, but you also took in a lot of fluids with it, which, which is important. So we know you can't like super fuel. They say you can mix, you know, 400 calories into 16 ounces. Uh, it, it's kind of risky doing that with scratch hydration. Yeah. Um, so it was diluted a little bit more, but, uh, obviously you, you were, you were dialed in nutrition wise on, on the bike and, and you were vigilant there. And that's, uh, you have to do that obviously in long course. Um, so you got away from this pack, cruised into T2, you know, got through T2 smoothly, and then you had one of the fastest run splits of the day. Um, so, so how are you feeling getting off of the bike and, and, and what were you thinking about at, at that point? So getting off the bike, it was, it was definitely a wave of relief because I, you know, I, I saw my time of around like 218. I'm like, awesome. That's perfect. That's right where we want to be. Um, and now like, I don't have to worry about any flats. I don't have to worry about any crap, like crashing or anything like that. The run is, you know, that's, that's where my history has been. And that's where I know I can, I can, um, make up some time and, uh, you know, ran into transition threw my shoes on and off on the run. And like, this was the second time I'd run in the, in the vapor flies. Um, and before running in them, I had run in the, um, Saucony, uh, pros, um, pro or Saucony endorphin pros, um, which are carbon plated. Um, but compared to the vapor flies there, they are nothing because right. <laughs> the vapor flies, it's like, Oh wow, these aren't hype. This, these actually work like, Oh my goodness. It's like Springs. Um, it's, it's amazing that the different field um, that you get when running in, in the vapor flies. Uh, and the, that kind of was just a, a, a boost um, getting out of transition of like, wow, I, I'm flying. Um, and for the run, it was, all right, we know you gave me heart rate bounds. Um, and typically we work with pace, but we knew that with with the potential heat of Eagle Man, um, going more with heart rate would, would be better. Um, and so I stuck with heart rate, didn't look at my pace for the first about two miles. Um, and I started, I was starting to catch people. So I knew I was going at a good clip, um, but my heart rate stayed low and kind of locked into that 160 zone. So I'm like, this is great. Let's, let's keep it going. And it was just a consistent, all right, let's tick off the miles. Um, and it was just going from mile marker to mile marker, um, keeping an eye on the heart rate, keeping an eye on the pace after a little bit. And just making sure that I just kept on pushing that that upper bound because if I, I knew that if I kept that upper bound, then I wouldn't blow up. You know, I, I could mm -hmm. tread that red line careful like we had done in practice and still be safe. Um, and nutritionally on the run, um, I did have a couple gels with me, but I took a couple tastes and, and my stomach just started to, I don't know, twinge just a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to risk it. So I went with just cola um coal at pretty much every, every aid station um and use that as my fuel um which which I, in retrospect worked pretty well um you know not a lot of calories but it, it did the job um and also it was pretty refreshing um but also in those in those aid stations also getting down the water you know pouring water over myself getting the ice even though it wasn't particularly hot i think on the the run the rain had stopped um, and the heat had gone to about 85, um, still, uh, overcast, which was nice, but needed, needed to cool off with the, with the water and with the ice. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the heat there, so, so it got up to mid eighties, you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's still hot, but we know that even on relatively cool days, cooling down by dumping water over your body is, is going to help because, if it's above 60 degrees, your body is, your core temp is, can be a limiter. So in long course, that is definitely something to consider, but it was definitely wise focusing on, on cooling and kind of obsessing over that. And, uh, the, the cola, it clearly, it works. Cause you know, you're not the only one who, uh, benefits from it. And, and maybe it has to do with the fructose in there. I think maybe a lot of uh, scratch, they don't, break down the fructose to glucose blend, but we're sort of finding in like recent studies that 
um, you know, maybe a little bit more fructose might be helpful. Uh, but it is definitely the case that you can't get higher on the glycemic index <laughs> than cola. <laughs> plus, plus you have that, that caffeine, uh, which helps. So it's, it's definitely helped a lot of athletes and it's not, not a bad option, but the one thing to highlight is your ability to adapt and tweak the plan based on how you're feeling. You know, you felt kind of like a, a twinge in the stomach, a gut bomb. And if people stubborn, stubbornly adhere to their, you know, previously laid out nutrition plan, a lot of times that's going to equal disaster because you have to listen to your body. So I, I know that we always try to talk to athletes about the actual sort of macro breakdown of what, what they need to be taking in, like how many carbohydrates, how many calories per hour, so that they have the ability to adapt the plan to the conditions and to adapt it to how they're feeling. So if they get off track a little bit, they don't have to, you know, worry that they're going to bonk or something, but it's definitely important to understand the, the rationale behind the nutrition plan, sort of what the limits are and, and what's ideal. Um, but so you ran very quickly. What was your run split? 120 and change. Yep. So that's, that's moving on a hot day at, at Eagle man, uh, after a good swim and, and a good bike. Uh, so, so y you crossed the line and, and how did you feel? I felt amazing. Like it was, um, it was an amazing, amazing feeling. Um, just being back in racing, racing, um, it was, it was a relief of like a perfectly executed race. Like mm -hmm. I would, there are very few things I would change. Um, and once I crossed the line, it was like, I'm back. I, you know, this is, this is where I, mm -hmm. this is where I want to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and it's like, all right, welcome back. What, like, this is just opening the door of what's to come next. Um, which is a really good feeling. Um, yeah. And there's still some clear low hanging fruit. I think, mm -hmm. you know, for the, the swim, you probably have a couple minutes that's it would be pretty easy to take off there just by swimming even half consistently uh you know going into a race and on the bike I, I think that there's some additional watts there but also you were limited i believe a little bit by that that pack that was, mm -hmm. it, it was difficult to get around and then you know it, it it's tough to to settle in to a pack, even if we know that there may be a, a small, not even a small, but there, there is a draft benefit. Uh, but if that pack is throwing you off or forcing you to go a little bit slower, well, that's, that's an issue. Um, cause it also is the case that oftentimes you'll, they'll speed up <laughs> to like yeah. almost prevent you from passing. So it's not as it doesn't work out well all the time being in a Peloton in a, in a race. And we know since you were able to drop them pretty candidly after the turnaround, uh, you know, that, that maybe played, played a role, but in any case you, you ran well. And I think obviously a, a performance to be proud of 30 minutes, 218, 120. Um, so, so what's next on, the on the schedule for, uh, for you? So I don't think uh, I'll be doing any more tries this year, just moving back to the States um, and starting at a new school in Connecticut. Um, so just dealing with the stress of, tra uh, of, of travel um, as well as moving um, and starting in a new place. Uh, I don't want the pressure of having to also train for, a, for an A-race. So I think no more triathlons for, the, for, this, for this year, but maybe doing a couple uh, half marathons um, in the fall. Um, so dialing back the triathlon focus and just focusing on running, which, um, which is easy. Like it's those, those like for running for me is like, all right, I can get these workouts in um, regardless. It's kind of a singular focus and it's easier to have, you know, wrap your mind, wrap my mind around. All right. Just training for this half, uh, half marathon than it is training for another uh, half iron. Um, so maybe a couple of road races in the fall, you know, low, uh, low key local races, um, seeing if I can go for a half marathon PR, um, to 
also go back a little bit to speed, um, which, um, you know, during the, the standard, the build that we did, um, we did a little bit of speed work, um, kind of in that threshold work, a little bit of VO2, um, but not as much as if we were training specifically for a half marathon. Um, so it's, I'm looking forward to getting a little bit back to the, the speed work um, and some of the, the interval workouts. Um, in, uh, to bring back that speed. And I think that will set me up uh, well for next year. Um, going, looking at um, USAT nationals as a good a early A race. Um, going back to Eagle Man um, and seeing maybe if I can go sub 410 or faster. Um, and then maybe another half Ironman later on in the summer. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited about multi-sport nationals next, well, I guess, end of April, early May. I know we talked about you doing a lot of events there, many events, and that'll be that'll be a blast. We have to figure out the relay team because we're going to have a couple really, really fast, really strong relays there that, you know, you'll be on that relay team. And uh, I'm, I'm really pumped about that. And the uh, run focus build, especially honing that high end fitness, a little bit of run speed, getting that back or just fostering it a little bit is obviously going to help. They'll translate well uh, to multi-sport Nats in, in Irving, Irving, Texas. But, uh, but yeah, definitely something to be proud of. And, and how are the legs now? Well, we're pretty far away from the race, but you're yeah, two you weeks, a little bit, two weeks little out, bit I think break. now. Yep. Yeah. Two weeks out feeling normal. Um, after the, one week off they were a little raw just to get back into running and back into cycling again but after a week of adapting they're feeling fine they're feeling you know back to back to 100 um and it's uh yeah it's it's i'm looking forward to summer training of just you know longer stuff outside um not being on the trainer as much um being able to run outside as well um and, you know enjoying the summer uh summer weather yeah. And the, so I guess one thing I want to do before we close, just kind of highlight some of the reasons why you were able to go for 16. Cause you know, a lot of athletes and working triathlete, they, you know, have aspirations of, of going that fast and as do many other listeners. And when we think about like distilling it down, it's like, what separates you from, you know, athletes who are trying to get over that, that bubble. So obviously 416, you're, you're sort of a top age group athlete starting to approach that age group pro bubble potentially. And when we think about the main principles that actually enabled you to go that, that fast, are there any that sort of are at the top of your mind? Um, because I mean, the first one in my mind is, is just consistency <laughs> and the ability to string together weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of training, uh, good cycling volume, good run volume, good focused swim workouts. But what I think people don't necessarily get is just every workout is important and it, it plays a role, but it isn't just you know, one or two or three or four or five or, or 20 good workouts. It's <laughs> literally hundreds of workouts over one or two years that enables somebody to, to go this, this fast. So you can't train for, you know, two weeks and then take two weeks off or, you know, train three times one week, 10 times the next, and then zero the next week and expect to improve your fitness. Um, but, you know, do you think that that was the biggest factor contributing to your success or, or what, what are some of the principles you think that enabled you to reach the next level? Yeah, I think consistency. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, like being a teacher, the, I guess the biggest thing about the biggest plus about being a teacher besides summer vacation is just, you know, what your schedule will be for the most part, you know, that, you know, you'll be at school at eight o'clock and you're mostly going to be there until two 30. Um, and you have that predictability. Um, obviously you know, faculty meetings get thrown out to you randomly. Um, sometimes, sometimes a parent will call up and you have to schedule a meeting, which is, which will throw out uh, or mess up your schedule. But for the most part, just having a set schedule was a, a big plus um, and allowed me to say, all right, these are the hours I'm going to be at work. 
I can get in this in the morning and this in the afternoon um, and having that predictability to be able to get that consistency. Um, but the other thing is, um, you know, sometimes that, that schedule got, you know, thrown out because whether it was faculty meetings or midterms, you know, writing reports, um, that, can, that th uh, threw off what my typical routine was. At the same time, having a mental flexibility of, all right, I couldn't get my workout in the morning. It's okay if I get that in at four or five or 6 p.m. Uh, if I have to adapt it or tr uh, change it after I feel on the warm up, that's okay too. Something's better than nothing. Um, and having that flexibility of it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, ex you know, I don't have to get it in, in exactly at 7 a.m. in the morning. I can get it in at any time of the day that I want. Um, I just have to be mentally flexible enough to be able to say, all right, I wasn't, I, mm -hmm. I needed to sleep in. I had to move my run from the morning to the afternoon. That's okay. Um, and just rolling with that, that fluidity. Um, I think it was a, uh, was a m mental switch in my mind um, that allowed me to become more consistent um, and string together a lot more workouts than if I had been, all right, oh, I missed this morning. Uh, I missed this morning workout because I had dorm duty last night and I needed to sleep in or my, I slept through my alarm. Being able to adapt and say, and move the, move workouts around as I needed to, to be able to get them in helped. That's, that's a great point. So it's almost like one needs to be, when we think about being type A or, or, you know, triathletes being type A, definitely it, it helps to be type A when you're creating a repeatable sort of structure or, you know, like, like you're saying this, this concept of, of having a rhythm and, and doing workouts on the same time each day, knowing your schedule and just having a structure or routine that you stick to, but you can't be so type A that if you miss this typical time slot that you can't adapt. Cause I definitely see a, certain athletes, you know, if they miss a workout, they, they, they just don't want to scale it. They, they'd rather just not do anything. And that's not good. That's gonna hold them back. So it's, it's being disciplined enough or seeing the value in a routine and structure because that inspires consistency. But another essential component of consistency is adaptability and the ability to adjust on the fly, which is what you're talking about. I think that's, yeah, that, that's very insightful. That's a great point. Another thing, and kind of you kind of alluded to this, is stringing together hundreds and hundreds of workouts, and that that's a, a really good point. A lot of times, you know, when athletes sign up for a race, they they have a short term focus, but Chris, it's apparent obviously you have a long term focus. You know, going years out, which is good, you know, because it takes years to develop that fitness and and compound just like just like interest in the bank. Another thing that helped me in that consistency is the strength work that we did. Um, you know, before we started working, I had a very like strength work. Oh, that means I have to go to the gym. You know, that means I have to, you know, I actually have to, you know, get in the car and go to the gym and do heavy weights. But the strength workouts that we did, yeah, we, we did go to the gym. We did lift heavy stuff, um, which was a huge plus, but we also did you know, at home workouts, like, you know, fire, lots of glute work, lots of glute activation, lots of fire hydrants, lots of supermans. Um, and doing that consistently, I think helped me prevent, uh, prevent injuries. Um, you know, having a history of, you know, with the calf, um, uh, you know, the calf strength. And also, um, I had a, um, a stress fracture in my femur, um, several years ago, but since then it's always, I've always had to be careful with my run volume, but bringing in that strength and activating muscles that I should be activating because of that strength work, I think helped me, um, get more miles in without injury risk. Yeah, no, great, great points there. And one thing is I think the, the importance of keeping it simple. I know Jeff, we talked about on our strength training webinar last week, but you bring up a good point about, so this concept of going to the gym to lift, obviously many benefits there. And we certainly are advocates of, of lifting heavy, but at the end of the day, convenience does matter. And there is a <laughs> tremendous benefit doing body weight work, especially glute work, we know, I mean, it's, it's all the rage now in, in endurance sports, physical therapists, obviously for, for a few years have been heralding the importance of 
getting a strong butt. And um, it doesn't have to be this complicated endeavor where you're doing 12 different exercises with kettlebells at the gym or doing 12 different variations of squats and, and deadlifts and, and, and all of this. It's, it can be simple and, and oftentimes simpler is better if that mm. leads to, to more consistency. Um, and it also, if it also leads to you having the ability to do these exercises with good form and, and, and just progressive overload and just constantly trying to just get stronger, but to get stronger, you actually have to do exercises. So it isn't like certainly going and lifting heavy is, is, wise and and great but hearkening back to what we just talked about if you can't get to the gym that doesn't mean that other there are other ways to get in a massively beneficial workout that will increase strength and prevent injury potentially so um yeah strength is important that's a good point for sure but uh, yeah, I think we, we covered a lot of, of good topics today and anything else that we, we should cover on anybody's mind related to the race or uh, you know, the, the, the build or, or anything that went into six, you know, that contributed to the success of uh, the race. I know that, you know, nutrition wise, you know, you, you dial it in. We really focused on, on that during the key endurance sessions. Um, but I mean, day-to-day nutrition, did you do anything special there? Um, nothing special. Um, I, I, I keep a vegan diet. Um, so that's something that, um, it just for environmental reasons and ethical reasons, it's just something that I, I started, um, two years ago and it's been going ever since, but in that I have to make sure like, I got to get my, you know, my iron in, um, because I know that like, if, once I start to get anemic, you know, my sleep gets thrown off and my energy levels get thrown off and everything gets out of whack. So just keeping a careful eye on, you know, vitamin D levels and iron levels were, was pretty important day to day. Not being too strict with my diet, though, um, even though like, being a vegan, like not being too strict with what I eat necessarily, um, but making sure that I, I fill up my plate with uh, with um, as much veggies as possible um, and good good nutritious food. Being in Jordan, um, it was actually pretty easy to be a, a vegan in mm-hmm. Jordan. Um, everywhere we went, you could obviously get bread and hummus. Um, that was on like mm-hmm. every single menu, so there, that was always the fallback. Um, and and uh, another good. Uh, plus of working at a boarding school is that the dining hall always cooks something up good. Uh, so it, I didn't necessarily have to worry about cooking my own food all the time. I could, if, if I was in a pinch time wise, I could just go to the dining hall, um, and pick up some food there. Um, so, but day-to-day nutrition, yeah, nothing special. Um, just, yeah, just oats for breakfast, typically a, a big salad for lunch or some, some rice. If I've got a, uh, or in addition to some rice, um, if, if with a workout in the afternoon and then, yeah, was, uh, veggie veggies and a protein for dinner, um, and veggie, yeah, veggies, protein and a carb for dinner. And that's, that's pretty much day to day what, what it was. Oh, and lots of cereal. I, I love cereal, <laughs> um, cereal, like that's, that's my go-to pleasure food. Um, what's your favorite cereal? Oh, good question. I, I, I love Kashi granola. Um, that mm. really is my, uh, my favorite, um, that and cinnamon toast crunch. Um, but save that for after long bike rides. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't not love cinnamon toast crunch. I'm a huge fan of those. I also like fruity pebbles, That's which my wife hates, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but same, same approach there. It's a good, maybe recovery uh, glycogen replenishing food, not something you want to start your day with necessarily. Today. <laughs> it might as well be starting it with a Coca-Cola and uh, <laughs> a cookie, but, uh, you know, nothing wrong with occasional fruity pebbles and, and, and cheat foods, but this, well, I'm glad we brought this up or this came up, um, because you clearly pay attention to nutrition. And I will say that over the next few months, this side of, uh, training, wellness, and recovery, just this concept of eating well and focusing on nutrition is something that we definitely want to focus on uh, at Working Triathlete. We definitely want to emphasize this more and, and go into it. Um, 
but yes, yeah, so we we might have to to wrangle you into some uh, maybe an AMA about training well and recovering well while using a vegan diet. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. With nutritionally, like I've had issues, especially like in high school and college, with with eating and eating disorders. Um, and that's something that I've I've really worked on over the past ten years, just kind of making sure that I fuel my body um, mm -hmm. and making sure that like I I get the the fuel that's that my, that the workout demands and that my body requires to go fast. Um, and that was, a, that was a huge switch is when, when I made that choice of like, all right, I, you know, I can't diet on the bike. I can't diet and train, um, train at the level that I want to, if I, if I don't feel, mm -hmm. fuel myself correctly. Um, so making that mental switch, um, which took a lot of work to be able to, you know, eat the way, eat comfortably the way I do without anxiety or without guilt, um, has been a, a work in progress. Yeah. Endurance sports, especially it's tough because everybody always talks about Watts to kilo mm -hmm. and, you know, the importance of having good body comp, but I think it is probably the case that a lot of athletes do under fuel or they don't eat consistently enough to a point where, you know, they're doing it in the optimal manner. Cause I know right. if athletes, they try to crash diet, then they might eat too much bad stuff at once, or it, it's difficult to, to eat well consistently in a way that, you know, enables performance and, uh, inspires one to have a healthy perspective on it, but it's definitely the case. I mean, my wife has, has coached a bunch of athletes on, on the nutrition front and, Oftentimes when she starts working with them, the, the protocol is to actually increase the number of calories they're, they're eating and that can enable them just to feel better. But, but I think what that does is it also prevents the sort of the crash and the propensity mm -hmm. to just eat really unhealthy for, for a few days. So um, you know, having a long-term approach there that's also flexible, I think is, is really important, but uh you know, obviously there are experts who can speak more to that, uh, in a more informed manner than I can, but it's the bottom line is it's, it's important to, uh, to focus on it and to inspire a healthy outlook there, but it's essential to recovering. Well, you know, it's, it's a piece mm -hmm. of the puzzle that's important. And if athletes want to reach the next level, they, they should dial in their nutrition, but, uh, but great. Well, I think this was a, a really productive podcast. We covered a lot of great topics and I know a lot of athletes are going to be interested in hearing your story and, and how you were able to throw down and go 416 uh, at Eagle Man. You definitely inspired a lot of athletes. I know that you know you, the result was was posted and some athletes were like, wait, who's, who's Chris or, or <laughs> who's that? Uh, but I know they saw you on webinars and, and things like that. And they're like, oh, oh, but uh yeah. So it was definitely inspiring and inspiring performance. And I'm sure there will be many more to come. Yeah. Congrats, Chris. Thank you. Uh, way to be adaptable and, and really confident in your ability with the lack of swimming that you were able to pull off when went overseas. And um, I, I'm just envisioning in my mind, you, you got super fast because you're running from these packs of dogs <laughs> in the middle of Jordan right now. <laughs> But no, excellent result and uh, kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, and also, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for all the work um, for the past year, Conrad, um, and also the community that both of you have built with Work and Triathlete. Um, that, that's been a huge plus. Um, I love being part of the team and uh, being able to bounce ideas off uh, people in the community and um, be able to pick both of your brains whenever I needed to. So it's been, I, I've loved this past year. I'm looking forward to many more tri seasons to come. Yeah, well, it's a privilege working with you, and we are grateful that you're a part of this community. And if anybody else out there wants to reach out to Derek or myself, email us at info at workingtriathlete.com. And uh, one last thing, too. If you uh, enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and share it with your friend. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you.